Well, so as I said before, we're, we're moving in the direction of Daniel for the next few weeks together as we move towards our October 17th grand opening. And, and to give you a little bit about the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel is 12 chapters long, conveniently divided into two halves, six chapters and six chapters. And so the two halves each have different kinds of genres. The, the first six chapters are, are a bit of a narrative and, and so this narrative then takes us through the life of Daniel and some other uh, heroes in his circle of friends and then some other characters in his life. So that would be the first six chapters, the genre being narrative. The second six chapters are visions given to Daniel from the Lord. And these visions, the purpose of them are to reassure God's people and that, that he is still here, that he is still in control because there is chaos just all around them in their lives. They're, things are just going crazy. They're being persecuted. They're suffering. They're being um, exiled. And, and, and the purpose of these visions is to show them, to reassure them, God is in control and he will be victorious in, in history. And so that's why these visions are here. And, and the point of visions and, and, and this apocalyptical uh, six chapters and even the book of Revelation, the point of, of apocalyptical scripture is not for us to, you know, get one of those nice university style chalkboards and to sketch out everything that's going to happen so that we can anticipate and prepare um, for uh, the next step and be looking for the day and the time and, and, and whenever we see a barcode or the guy at the, at the, you know, the register ready to scan that we run as far as we can because we think we might have the, the, the barcode as the mark of the beast or something. That's, that's not the point. The point of apocalyptical scripture is to help us understand the end of the story. God's in control. God will be victorious so that we might be encouraged to press on, to just press on. And, and the stuff that God gives us in scripture regarding the end is, is very important and we should understand what we are able to understand, but don't try to go beyond that. Understand what God gives us in scripture so that we might ready ourselves, so that we might be ready for the end and anxiously awaiting the end and encouraged for the end. And so if you're needing encouragement, be encouraged by apocalyptic apocalyptical scripture, hard word, and if you um, are away from him, what apocalyptical scripture does is it tells us you want to be on his team in the end, right? So we're not going to look at the the last six. We're going to look at the first six uh, chapters for the the next four weeks leading up to the the grand opening as we look at the narrative of the life of of Daniel so um, that we can can get to a place that we can see and, and start to model the, the life of a person who is completely given to the Lord. And we're going to see in the life of Daniel what could happen if we would completely just unleash our, our, our lives and everything that we are, just completely open our hands up to the Lord. And, and, and it will be an incredible time looking at this. I'm really excited about it. And if you've grown up in the church at all, you know a little bit about the story of, of the life of Daniel. When you think Daniel, like me always, we think, Daniel and, and the lion's den. And, and so um, that story comes from Daniel chapter 6, which is the last chapter of the narrative section of Daniel's life. And, and often people look at that chapter, that story, as the climax to the life of Daniel. And let me just kind of give it to you. What happens is King Darius issues a, a decree that whoever prays to anyone other than, than Darius would be cast into a den 
of lions. And what does Daniel say? He says, nothing will stop me. He continues to go and, and to pray to the Lord. What happens is he's cast into the den of lions, as, as Darius said would happen. He's then protected by the Lord. And in awe of all of that, Darius begins to fear God as a result. And so often we say, that's the climax to the life of Daniel. That was, that was it. That's, that's where it really, it all comes down to that. And so what I want to do then, if that is, is what we think when we think the life of Daniel, I want us just to jump into this series with the image of lions and, and the end of, 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 of the, the narrative in mind that Daniel would be cast into a den of lions. And I think what we're going to see is that, that that's not so much the climax. We'll actually see a climax today where Daniel does something incredible. But keep your mind on what's coming on lions and lion's den and, and let yourself be reminded constantly of, of in the New Testament, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, which warns you by saying, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. My fear for, for all of us, any of us, would be that we would ever, ever be defeated by, by Satan. And, and scriptures make it very clear, resist the devil and he will flee from me. I wish it, it would say resist the devil for the next day and tomorrow he will flee from you. We don't know how long we're to, to resist the devil, but we are to resist him and he will flee from us. And he is, however, as the scripture says, prowling like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so be alert. Keep your eyes open and know, understand that we are, are vulnerable for Daniel, his whole life was leading up to the moment with the lions. His lions were, were a literal lion, and he wasn't defeated. And this morning, we see why he wasn't defeated. And I would suggest that that's the climax to his life. We'll see it this morning. And, and, and we're going to see something that he does as a young man. And we're at a place where, where God has, has blessed us with a lot of, of young men. You go to most churches, and there's primarily ladies, and, and the men are at home because it's Sunday and football's coming. You've got to prepare your heart for football, right? And, and what happens uh, at, at, at most churches is, is churches are full of women, and the men, if they're there, they're disconnected. And God has blessed us with a lot of young men. And so, guys, I think you'll find this very, very appropriate for you to see something that happens in Daniel's life at an early stage of his life as a young guy that sets in motion the course of his life that today, if you, like Daniel, would make this decision, it would set the trajectory of your life in the, in, in the path of, of a God-honoring, powerful, radical life. So today, the call is, is to learn from Daniel and his example. When I was in high school, uh, I went to this, this church, and I remember this church, little church, saved up all their money and, and, and brought in this, this speaker that they were just so excited about. They were pumping this guy up. They were ready. And I remember sitting out in, in, the, in the, uh, the pew that Sunday morning, and this guy comes to the podium. I, just, I, I remember exactly what he looks like. He comes in. He's this big guy, right? He comes up to the podium, and he just kind of hovers over the podium, and and he's tall and dark and, and built, much like me. And, and no, okay. He, he's just hovering over the, this podium. He's got this nice suit on, pinstripe. He's just kind of standing there, very intimidating. And I remember him. He says, hello, my name is Tony. I'm like, all right, this is going to be good. He goes, my name is, is Tony, and I want to tell you my story. He says, I grew up on the streets of, 
of New York, and at age 14, I became affiliated with the family. He said, the family. I was like, all right, this is going to be good. And so he starts to tell us a story about how he was this mafia mobster and uh, started telling us all these crazy stories about robbing people and about roughing people up and about jail time. He even told us about how he was associated with murder. And, and I just remember at, at, as a teenager, I remember sitting there and just thinking, this guy is awesome. I love it. And we were all, everybody in the church was just sitting on the edge of their seats, just so in tune with, with this guy telling this crazy story, but all the, the crazy things he did. And then he goes on, he says, but one day somebody came and told me about Jesus, right? And he starts to tell us about how somebody told him about Jesus and, and how he gave his life to the Lord and he started following the Lord. And I just remember thinking as a high school kid who had grown up in the church, I remember thinking, man, I wish I had some of those experiences. Man, my story would be powerful if I was able to get up and say I was roughing people up on the streets of Boston and just giving all these cool stories. I thought, man, people would really want to listen there about, about that. But, man, here I am. I'm just a kid who grew up in the church. No cool stories about dealing drugs or running from the law or the streets of, of New York. And then I remember talking to a guy uh, later about that and saying, wouldn't that be cool if we had one of those stories like that? And the guy said, no, no, Josh, don't even, don't even say that. He says, that was kind of my story. It was pretty rough. And he says, though I'm free from the bondage of sin, he says, I'm free from that. I still have stuff in, in my mind. He says, here's your perspective, Josh. You were saved from that stuff. You didn't have to go through that stuff. He says, so don't ever, don't ever think about that. And, 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 and this morning, I don't want to diminish the, the power of that ex-mobster's testimony of his story. Everybody has different stories. So I don't want to diminish the power of, of his story by, by any stretch. But let me tell you something. As I've matured in my faith and, and moved past that false thinking as a high school student, I'm at the place now, and, and I hope we're at this place now, where we want all of our stories to be stories of crazy things that we did for God, not crazy things that we did against God at a younger age. And for most of you, I would imagine you're very fortunate. You're in here this morning. You're hearing the message before you know, signing up for the mafia, right? No mobsters in here. That's good. I, I didn't wear my bulletproof vest today. So most of you in here, you're, you're fortunate in, in that sense. And, and this is the story of Daniel. Did Daniel have have some crazy life stories. You better believe he had some crazy life stories. But his crazy life stories were stories of things that he did for the Lord and things that he did accredited to the, the kingdom of God. And I, I want this for you. I want God to blow your mind, which is crazy things that he does in his name through you. And, and so let's, let's start now that no matter where our, our story has been up to this point, that we know, we're confident that God gives us a, a fresh start. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. So wherever you've been prior, today God wants you to give, to give you a, a new start, a fresh start. He wants you to live with crazy stories in your life of things that you have done for God. And so as we look at the life of Daniel, you're going to see a really consistent walk with God. You're going to see a guy who started young, and as he grew in the Lord, he just did some crazy things for the Lord. And he was unbelievably 
consistent. And, and for many of us, maybe up to this point in our lives, consistent would be the last word to describe our, our walk with God. And, and maybe we're at this place when we, we, we get high on Jesus occasionally. We're all excited about Jesus, but then when we get away from the element, we start to kind of fizzle out. When we get away from the crowd who loves Jesus, we start conforming and adapting to the, the next crowd that we're in. And that would be many of us. And so consistency doesn't at all mark our lives. And, 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 and you know this lack of consistency, this getting high on Jesus and, and fleeing from Jesus and running towards the Lord and, and getting far from the Lord. This, this also would be uh, very characteristic of Daniel's people, the nation of Israel. Now there are a few faithful followers of God in the mix up to this point like Daniel and a few of his friends that we'll see later on. But as a whole, Daniel's people constantly were running to God saying, please help me, and then turning their backs on God and running far from God. And that's where we're at at the beginning of this book. And so what God does for these inconsistent people who are back and forth, wishy-washy, is he sends a king to get their attention. So read with me Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, lowercase g, God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his lowercase g, God. So we'll stop there for a second. At this point in history, the nation of Israel is divided into two. You have the, the northern kingdom, Israel. You have the southern kingdom, Judah, which is, is Daniel's people. The, he's, he's part of Judah, and we're, we're talking about Judah here. And we read that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in the west comes to Jerusalem, and he whips up on the southern kingdom. He whips up on, on Judah a bit, and he establishes, we are in control now. You need to know that Babylon is, is in control. And you can do your own thing over here, but you need to know that Babylon is still the boss. We're still in charge here. And, and to show the people back in Babylon, not all were coming over and, and, and whipping up, to show them back in Babylon that they are in control, kind of as a pride thing, and to show your people your power, right? What he does is they take two types of things. The first type of thing that we, we've read here that they've, they've taken are valuable artifacts from the temple. So you can imagine the people of Judah are just, oh, this is terrible. They've taken this. I mean, it's just not good. They're really discouraged. On top of that, they steal their stuff, bring it back, and they're flaunting it. Look, in Babylon, where we've got artifacts from the temple. And, and, and so that's one thing they steal. Let's read on and see what else they steal. Look at verses 3 and 4 now. It says, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the the Chaldeans. So Nebuchadnezzar has taken artifacts from the temple and now we see he also takes some people, and it talks about the people that he's taken from Judah. It says that they are some of the best sons of Israel. They're young, trainable, youthful guys. And so again, now many of you are in their shoes. They're, they're young guys, and maybe you can only, ladies, relate to they're young, or maybe you can relate to you're at a place where you're not with the Lord right now. However you can relate, many of us, I would imagine, can relate. We're in 
their shoes. Young, trainable, youthful people. And, and, and one thing that, that, that uh, God is, is doing here, as I, I want you to see, is though Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's doing something cool, God is, is in control, as we talked about when we went through the book of Ruth. He's in all the details, and God is in the details here. And what it tells us about these, these, these young guys that Nebuchadnezzar took, it says that they were, were, to be, they were, selected, so that they, uh, they were selected by one of Nebuchadnezzar's officials, and, and they were of the, the royal family, or they were nobility, princes of Israel. It says they were also young. It goes on, catch this, it says they were without defect, and so they likely had good vision, no handicaps, no health issues. They were just really healthy guys with no defect. And it goes on, Babylonian ladies, look out, right? It says they were good looking, right? The new kids on the block, they're, they're good looking. And so I'm sure the ladies, oh, who are these guys, right? It goes on, it says they were intelligent in all wisdom, which would mean they, they, in all the subjects, they're intelligent. Math, history, language, they were, it goes on, they were capable to serve in, in the king's court. So do you see what Nebuchadnezzar is doing? Here's Nebuchadnezzar's plan. It's like the, the application process for Harvard, right? It's, it's Ivy League here. He picks young, intelligent, cream of the crop, well-rounded guys. He's stacking the deck. He's like the captain on the elementary school playground, right, for kickball. He's going, I want you, and I want you, and I, he gets all the big kids, or all the kids that he knows are, are good. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. But what is God doing? God's in control. He's in the details. And what God is doing is he's sending, he's allowing this to happen. And he's sending to Babylon some guys with influence, some guys who can make a, a difference. And it is, it is tough. And maybe some of you are there right now that where you're at, who you're surrounded with, maybe the school you're at, maybe it's the workplace environment, maybe it's even your family environment, maybe it's your extended family, maybe it's your neighborhood, maybe it's a group that you're a part of, whatever it may be, maybe you're at a place right now that is tough, and you're like, God is not in this, and you need to know that God's in control, he's in the details, and he's in it, and quite possibly God has allowed you to be in the situation so that you can be the one who acts as an influencer. Let's read on now, verses 5 through 7. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And so what we, what we see here as, as we look at these verses again is Nebuchadnezzar stacking the deck. He takes good-looking, athletic, smart guys from Judah. And as we read now, he puts them into a program, a three-year rigorous training program in hopes that they would become one of, of the Babylonians in, in hopes that they would strengthen the troops and the forces. And so Nebuchadnezzar is smart. He knows what he's up to. We'll leave the people that I don't want back in Judah, but the people I want and I can train and I can use, I'll bring them here and, and I'll hook them up. I'll hook them up. I'll make it really, really good for them that, that they'll like this. And so what he does too is he changes their names because he wants to give them a new start. He also changes their names because their they're Hebrew names honored Yahweh God and, and not their lowercase g 
God. And so he changes the name. He changes Daniel's name, but we're going to stick with Daniel because it's much easier to, stay, to say. And then he also changes um, the, the friends of Daniel, changes their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Many of you have heard of them, and we'll eventually look at them. But first, what I want you to see is that these are educated, quality young guys. And guess what? They followed God. Not all of these guys followed God, but we, we, we do focus in on these guys among the, the, the princes of Israel, and we see that they are, are quality young guys who love the Lord, and we're going to find out in their lives that they do some crazy things for God. And, and here's just kind of the first point I want you to, to latch on to, and that is this, that the, the world tells us that following Jesus, that the Christian faith is, is for those people who have nothing better going for them. That's what the world would, would say, and it's, it's a lie. It's become a very effective lie of, of Satan, is to say that Christians are people who have nothing better going for them. Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, and he might not have to physically bite you. He might not have to, to hurt you in, in a physical way or, or just defame your name. He might just try to make you look like an idiot, and, and that's what the world uh, wants to happen, and, and Satan, I believe, is the mastermind of the plan. And so through much of Hollywood and, and science, Satan is using that to, to paint the perception that following Jesus is for the unintelligent and following Jesus is for the desperate. And so if you have no IQ, how convenient. Let's just say some fairy tale, right? God created the heavens and the earth. Or if you want to be pure, it means really that you can't get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, so how convenient true love waits. And this is just not the case. This is the perception that, that Satan is using to, to blind people. And these guys, I want you to see, were the best of the best according to the world standards, and they faithfully followed God. Think about this. Think about the, the life and the records of Jesus. Think back to the gospel accounts, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they give the records of the life of Jesus. This, this wasn't a collaboration of guys who said, let's make up a cute fairy tale about Jesus. Maybe you've heard of, of Luke. Luke wrote more of the New Testament, used of God to write more of the New Testament than any other author, and he was a medical doctor. He was an educated man and and how about this he was also a historian so listen to luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 you don't have to turn there but just listen to it as i as i read this for you luke chapter 1 1 through 4 explanation of what luke was up to luke says inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught so I want you to hear that. First of all, we, we see that Luke was hired by a wealthy man that is referred to as Most Excellent Theophilus. This title, Most Excellent, lets us know that he was likely a government official with a lot of money because of his status. And he wanted to know, he had some, some interest in this Jesus. And he wanted to know, did all these miracles really happen? Like the resurrection of Jesus, is that really true? All these things that I've heard about Jesus, is it really true? So what he does is he goes and hires this brilliant doctor named Luke. And Luke goes, funded by Theophilus, sets out, 
to spend a ton and ton, ton of time investigating and getting down to the bottom of the, the truth on behalf of Theophilus, funded by Theophilus. So picture now, picture Luke going out. He's a doctor, but he's getting funded for this other project. He goes out, and, and, and CSI style, he's trying to get all the, the, the facts. He wants to collaborate. He wants to get the truth. And so he says, did a virgin really have a baby? So he starts to talk to people. What do you know about Mary? What about her story? What about her testimony? Is that what she said, or did she make that up when she was like 20-something? Is that really true, or did, did that get made up when Jesus became 30 or so? I mean, what's going on? He starts talking to people. He collaborates. Okay, sounds like she really was a virgin who had a, had a baby. Did, did, did this Jesus really feed 5,000 people? You were there? Let me talk to somebody else. You were there? Who else was there? You know him? Okay. Talk, talk to all these people. I mean, 5,000 people. He, he talks to people and, and collaborates the stories and says, this must have really happened. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And so Luke goes out and he starts to investigate. What do you know about this? What about this? Was this something they made up later? Is this true? What's he starts to talk to people, starts to sort this thing out. And sure enough, it seems to be true. Jesus rose from the dead. He, he wanted the facts, and he was funded to get the facts. If Luke made this up, this most excellent Theophilus had the power, it seems, based on his title, to say, Luke, off with your head. You've made this up, but Luke didn't make this up. Luke, a doctor, very smart, as you can imagine, most excellent Theophilus, powerful. These are people, by the world standards, cream of the crop, they were not going to mindlessly buy into this. They are educated. And this is true for Daniel and his boys as well. And I say this not to elevate people who are of those positions, as, as our world likes to do, but I say this to show you that according to history, this is only a recent thing that people would say that Christianity is a crutch for the weak, that Christianity is, is a crutch for the mindless for hurting people. No, it's not that. It's, it's truth. And these are educated, cream of the crop people. And, and God in no way gives them special treatment because of that. But I want you to see that what we believe is not for just unintelligent, uneducated, weak-minded people. This is for all and is valid and truthful. And these guys believed it and they followed it. And, and, and now I want to look at the last verse that we're going to look at this morning. And this verse really hit me. And I pray that it really hits you. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. After everything we've read, it says this. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. We're going to pick up with the rest of that in the weeks ahead, but I want to stop there this morning, and I want you to see these words, hear these words, let it hit you, and let it be an example to you. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. So here's the deal. Verse 5, King Nebuchadnezzar, as we read, puts them in this three-year training program. He gives them the best education, right? I mean, he's He's hooking these guys up. This is captivity. Come on. This is nice. This is a chance of a lifetime. He gives them the best education. In captivity, while receiving this wonderful education, it goes on. It says that he gives them choice food and the wine that the, the king drank. So, I mean, come on. Captivity 
is no fun. But this kind of captivity, he is really hooking them up. This is luxurious captivity. This isn't captivity. This is going to a sandals resort. This is incredible, right? He's really treating them well, making them want to stay, making them want to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Babylonian now. And the problem was for these people of, of, of the nation of, of Israel, the divided kingdom, Judah, the problem was that the food and the wine did not conform to the requirements of the Mosaic law. And so it was contrary to what God had commanded them. And just so we know as a side note, by the way, we are no longer held to the old covenant to these laws we are now under the new covenant the law of of christ but for daniel he was and and as one who was to uh, adhere to these laws this posed for him a real problem for for his faith would he live it up and say this is a sweet deal seems reasonable it seems like maybe this is just the plan God's going to use me, but I'm going to have to compromise a little bit. Maybe, maybe that, that made sense to some people. Would he do that, or would he completely honor God? And what does it say? Verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And I, I like best the way the New American Standard Bible puts it. It says that Daniel made up his mind. Ours says resolved, but I like that it says made up his mind. He would not defile himself. And, and Daniel had many, many, many years uh, ahead of him hanging around the leaders of Babylon and, and other, other nations. But early on in his life, it says that he made up his mind. I am going to be one who honors the Lord. I will make up my mind. I will live for the Lord. And the challenge for us today is to make up our mind, to fully Make up up our mind, and, and, and we need to get there. And I want you to start to question yourself. Where am I at? Is my mind really fully made up that I would live for Jesus, or is my mind kind of split? Is my thinking kind of split? I'm not just talking 50-50. Some of us maybe are, are 90-10. Like 90% of us, we are with the Lord, and we're going to live for him. But the other 10% of us, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of back and forth. When uh, a few years ago, I, I went to this great coffee shop, new cafe, great coffee shop, one of our own, runs the cafe, owns the cafe. And uh, I remember going with my uh, now four-year-old, I think he was just turned three then. And what I like to do is I like to give him opportunities occasionally to make simple decisions, right? So if we go to friendlies, I'll say, okay, that picture or that picture, which one? I don't give him 20 options or he'll just go crazy. But try to give him a couple options. And so we're at this great coffee shop, and uh, it was a busy day. It, it, there, were, there was a long line, I remember, I think it was lunchtime, and uh, my son is with me. And I said, hey, buddy, you can go pick out a drink. Now, there were a couple options i said this one or that one go pick out one and you can you can drink one and so i'm standing in line and i send him over here to one of those those refrigerators with the glass door and i said open it up and pick out either that one or that and he was really excited at the opportunity to make a decision and so so this is what happens he goes over to the refrigerator he opens up the door he puts his hand on one of the ones that i told him he could have he puts his hand on the other one i'm still back in this long line and he goes (laughs) <laughs> like both? How about both? And I said, no, 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 buddy. You need to choose one. And he goes, oh. And I'm like, no, just one. Put one back, keep the other. And so he goes, and he puts one back, and he takes this one. He goes, okay, I want the water. And so he starts to walk over. Then he goes, oh, hold on. 
He comes back. He gets the juice and starts. No, I said, no, Isaiah, you need just one. You can only have one. He goes, but I want them both. I said, no, only one. I want them both. And this, I could just see right there, this was not going to be a pretty sight right in the middle of this coffee shop. And long line of people was busy. It got embarrassing very quickly. I want them both. And then they do the thing where they just, I call it jello legs. Their legs just go, boom. And they just, they, like the legs don't even function anymore. They just fall on the ground. And he's holding, it was like the scene of some dramatic war scene. He's just got both juice and water bottle. And I want both of them. And he's just upset. And then the pressure is just accumulating. And, and, and sure enough, while he's throwing his fit, I'm kind of like, no, 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 no. And, and we get to the front of the line, and people are behind me. The pressure is on. I said, I'm going to have to make up your mind for you. We are going with the juice. And, and oh, he just lost it. He just went nuts, and it was terrible. And, and I tell you, I tell you what, man, I had to make up his mind for him and he really liked the idea of having both and so often I'm convinced that this is us where we like the idea of having both and we think that we can have both but the father God the father says no you cannot have both you cannot take the world and take me it does not work like this and what you're going to find is when you think you're getting away with having both you're not having the fullness of either and God wants to give you the fullness of himself. He wants you, the challenges all over the Bible, to make up your mind. That's why Joshua says before the people, he says, choose this day whom you will serve. That's why Jesus, when he comes to a, a paralytic, he says, you can either stay there or get up and follow me. Two options. You can't do both. That's why Jesus also says, you cannot serve two masters. That's why Paul, when he's before Athens, he stands and he says, men of Athens, repent means stay here do what you're doing or you can turn and you can follow me and so the 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 plea the call all over the scripture is would you today make up your mind get serious do you believe in jesus or not will you fully trust jesus or or not will you follow jesus fully or not will you serve jesus fully or not make up your mind. And again, many of us think our minds are made up, but our actions sure don't look like our minds are made up. For many of us, we are marked by vacillating. We're back and we're forth and we're back and we're forth and we're back and forth. And today you really have, you have four choices. Uh, Let me just give you each of the four choices. One, you can make up your mind and say, I follow Jesus. Two, you can make up your mind and say, I reject Jesus. Others of you, like Theophilus, and this is a very valid decision, is you can say, I will investigate and I will wholeheartedly, as Jeremiah 29, 13 says, I will seek the Lord. And the promise of God is that if you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. So that's a valid option. I will search after the Lord with everything I have. I need to know. I don't want to just kind of sit back apathetic and say, whatever happens, happens. It doesn't work like that. I will seek the Lord. So follow Jesus, reject Jesus, or investigate Jesus. Or the option is, like my son, is you can stand there like a child with your mind not made up and, and think that you're getting both, but you're not. You're not. And what happens is when you think you're holding on to both, Jesus says, you are rejecting me. You cannot serve two masters. And so for all of us, today is, is, is no better of a day. This is a, this is a perfect day to make up our minds. And, and I want you to see Jesus values you. He, he loves you. 
And, and He loves you whether you're the cream of the crop like some of the people we've looked at or not. He loves you. He cares for you. And, and, and He wants all of you. And our half-heartedness is hypocrisy. And because of our hypocrisy, it hurts the reputation of Christ on this earth. And so this is all about us. Every single one of us, myself included, challenging myself from the Scripture to be wholeheartedly committed to God. And so let me ask you, let me encourage you to ask yourself, because God is asking you, are you saying with your life, God, I'll give you a lot, but I won't give you everything? With your life, are you saying that? See what happens when when Daniel and his friends opt out of the king's choice food, as you can imagine, these guys probably stuck out like a zit on prom night, right? This is a big deal. They're probably standing, everybody's probably thinking, are you crazy? What are you thinking? Like, you're, you're here in captivity, and yet you've been given this incredible food. Are you crazy? Why would you, you not? I mean, prime rib and, and wine when, when you could just be eating just enough to get by? But no, these guys said, no, we're going to raise the flag and we're going to live wholeheartedly for God. We make up our minds. We have resolved in our hearts that we will live full on for the Lord. And what happens as a result is Daniel can be victorious later in the lion's den because when he was younger, he made up his mind and it sets the course, the trajectory of his life. And God in between chapter 1 here and chapter 6, God does some crazy things with Daniel. He gives Daniel all kinds of influences. And, uh, and it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity. And, and God does some things that maybe he could have never imagined. And I believe that God with us can do some things that maybe we would never have imagined. But it starts today, where you're at today, that would you make up your mind, that God would blow your mind because you made up your mind and said, I will follow the Lord, no compromise. And so this morning, let's stop saying both worlds and let's choose. And so I ask you, have you given everything to him? I mean, have you really fully given everything to him saying, God, I know it's hard, but I want to trust in you. Or you get to this point where you say, God, I'm following you and I'm going to release that other thing, whether it's 50%, whether it's 95%, whether it for, for some time it's been 100% of you or maybe it's just 10% of you, whatever it is, would you say, today I want to release that and I want to go full on with you and I want to trust in, in you alone, Lord. Today is, is the day for us to do that. Scripture says today is the day of repentance. And, and so that's the call from Scripture is to repent and say, I choose you. I turn to you, Lord. I make up my mind today that it might set the course of my life. Would you guys close your eyes? Let me just give you an opportunity for just a minute to, to start to deal with some sin in your life. And the way we deal with sin, according to the Scripture, is by confessing it, by bringing it to light. 